I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk about vaccines, as well as the horrible and horrendous situation in Georgia where a young man walked into several establishments killing eight individuals, six of those of Asian descent. And later in the pod, we're going to interview Curtis Ramsey Lucas of the American Baptist Home Missionary Society and the editor of The Christian Citizen. He's got a new book, In This Together, so you won't want to miss that. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of a new podcast, The Raceless Gospel, from Good Faith Media. We're going to talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Season one of The Raceless Gospel has five episodes, five Sundays, if you will. We're going to take you to church each episode. We're going to talk about the sticks and stones, the skin and bones of Christian discipleship through the structure of a church service. And each episode, we're joined by a special guest who will bring a word. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, five episodes, all available March 22nd. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we march into and beyond race, religion, and politics. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, how are you this week? I am doing well. I'm dealing with a little bit of racket because it is spring break and there are children (laughs) everywhere in my house. Well, I mean, we've kind of been on a spring break for like a year now, right? (laughs) Well, right. But you know, our kids do go back to school. True, true. They're all back home. And I have to tell you, I'm a little nervous those teachers might not take them back again like they did last year. Uh, I don't have it in me. Yeah, kicked them out and said, oh, yeah, we're closing shop. Yeah. No take backs. No take Oh my goodness. Uh, well, I, I know that uh, you guys are out of town and you have very graciously dialed in for this week's show and the kids are chomping at the bit to get to the park. So we'll make this pretty quick uh, <laughs> so we can get to our interview with Curtis. Um, big news in my house, uh, both my wife and I were able to receive uh, both doses of the vaccine. Uh, we received our last, yeah, we received our last vaccine. Uh, on Monday, and something a little unique about the way we received it, uh, we uh, had an opportunity early on to get our vaccines through my uh, Muskogee, Tree, Muskogee Creek Nation. And uh, I'm Native American, and my tribe is the Muskogee Creeks. Uh, my grandmother uh, sat on the council, very big proponent of education. Um, It was just really, really moving for us to be able to do that. And all of the tribes here in Oklahoma have done an outstanding job in vaccinating not only their tribal members and their citizens, but also making this available to uh, relatives of tribal members, uh, teachers. And now they've opened the doors because they've got so many uh, vaccines available to anybody who wants it. And they've just really done a, a spectacular job. I thought it was really interesting. Your wife, uh, 
who was not Native American, uh, had sort of an interesting perspective on getting her vaccine at uh, the from the tribe. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we were so excited when we made the appointment. I mean, everybody's doing everything they can to, to, to be patient and, and to get in line for the vaccine. But at the same time, you're hearing that a lot of these doses are going unused. And so, uh, we were very, very fortunate to, to get in with the Creeks. And when we did, made our appointment, we were excited about it. And then later that night, we started talking about it. And Missy said, you know, have you thought about kind of the history behind the way the federal government has treated Native Americans? Do you think they did anything funny with the vaccine? And I said, well, I can't say definitively <laughs> because historically the federal government does not have a great track record when it comes to relating to Native Americans, uh, slaves, descendants of slaves, um, and especially without consent uh, or knowledge, they have conducted medical examinations, medical experiments uh, on people of color. And so we had a really honest conversation about that and, and you know, and so we, we analyzed it, you know, we, we you know, talked about it, you know, we, we've got so much faith in our scientists and in our, our, our leadership now, in our tribal leaders, uh, in the healthcare workers who are distributing uh, the vaccine. Uh, obviously, that outweighed everything, uh, any hesitance that we had whatsoever. But it did cause us to pause. Yeah. And that was that was an interesting feeling uh, that that she conveyed to me, and, and I acknowledged it as well. Um, but you know, it, it really gave us some sympathy for those who may be hesitant to get the vaccine yeah. based upon the history uh, of culture and 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 people, uh, especially people of color. Under, we understand that at the same time this vaccine is our best shot of getting rid of COVID-19 and getting back to some sense of normalcy in a society. We've got to stay healthy, and the best way to do that is to get vaccinated. And so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. So I have a question that, like, maybe is a little out of left field. Mm -hmm. Did they use a bow and arrow to infect you? <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm going to say when I rolled up to the Creek Hospital and uh, rolled up my sleeve, I looked at uh, the the native nurse who was uh, going to distribute the vaccine and said, "You going to give me the the Indian shot or are you going to give me the white man shot? Because I know the white <laughs> needle is a little bit bigger than the the Indian needle." <laughs> Stick it to the man. <laughs> Oh no! It was it was really a, a great experience. Uh, the Creeks did a fabulous right. job, and and the the tribes, uh, like we've already stated, are, are just really really doing stepping up and, and doing great. great and I've just been so generous. Yeah, I mean, so many of our public school teachers have had the back. So many, um, you know, frontline workers who maybe weren't quite considered frontline workers according to the to the phases have been vaccinated because of the generous tribe. Right. Sure. So I'm Absolutely. I'm very thankful. Absolutely. Well, shifting gears a little bit, boy, we got some devastating news out of Georgia this week. Uh, a young man walked up to uh, three um, uh, nail salons uh, owned primarily uh, by people from uh, uh, with people uh, with Asian descent and uh, began to shoot, uh, killing eight. Uh, six of those were individuals uh, with Asian descent. 
um, and really continued to call attention to the upscale and violence against Asian Americans yeah. uh, in this country since the pandemic uh, has began over a year ago now and it just just heartbreaking and us at good faith media we stand in solidarity with our asian community uh, pacific island community saying no to this kind of racism and targeting this is atrocious it needs to be stamped out any any in every possible way uh is just it's just horrendous yeah, and it's just the harmful rhetoric. Um, people say, well, you know, we can call a virus after where it started and we can, you know, they, they try to wave it away as innocent, but clearly what happened in Georgia shows us that r- racist rhetoric is going to sometimes fuel the fringes. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be careful with what you say and you have to own the responsibility of associating a people group with something as devastating as this virus has been. Yeah. So all of our, uh, all of our uh, listeners with Asian descent, Pacific Islanders, uh, all of our friends in Georgia, we just want you to know that we're praying for you. We support you. You have um, our prayers, and we're sending you good thoughts. But more importantly, we're standing beside you. This is uh, this blatant racism, this blatant violence against uh, people of color, people of Asian descent, Pacific Islanders. We stand by. Uh, all of our friends down in Georgia, we're thinking of you. Yes. Uh, we're praying for you. We wish God's blessings upon you. Well, speaking of pandemics, uh, Autumn and I sat down this week with Curtis uh, Ramsey Lucas uh, of The Christian Citizen. Uh, he's got a new book out, In This Together, talking about ministry and ministering through the pandemic. And it's a great interview. So stay tuned. Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. We look forward to the pilgrimage with you. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Curtis Ramsey Lucas is the editor of the American Baptist Home Mission Society's The Christian Citizen Magazine. Curtis enjoys working with a diverse group of writers to publish thought-provoking and action-inspiring articles that intersect faith, politics, discipleship, and citizenship. He serves on the steering committee of the Interfaith Disability Advocacy Coalition, the board of directors of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, and the Religious Liberty Commission of the Baptist World Alliance. Curtis has authored numerous articles that have, been, that have appeared in the Washington Post, Religion News Services, Baptist News Global, and Good Faith Media. He also hosts the podcast, Justice, Mercy, Faith. He recently published a book, hashtag In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis. Curtis, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thanks, Mitch. It's good to be here. You know, one of the things I didn't mention in uh, the intro was your band, the Lonesome Valley Ramblers. Are they still producing music? I mean, it's really good stuff. Uh, so we are we are not as active as we once were uh, in the whole uh, COVID uh, life, but we uh, still uh, 
get together some. Uh, there's one kind of core member of that band, uh, and he and I are still uh, writing and recording and making music. Together. If I'm not so, mistaken, uh, I've seen you on a front porch with a guitar on Facebook. Yeah, back in the spring, I started doing that. You know, I saw these videos uh, from Italy and various places. People were kind of going out um, and making music on their porches and balconies and uh, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. So I decided to do the same. And uh, I did about, I think, 10 weeks of uh, concerts on my front porch and uh, live streamed them on Facebook and uh, eventually had uh, neighbors coming by. socially distanced in my front yard in, in lawn chairs. And, uh, so that was fun. Um, and then I just got, it got to be a little much to keep up with doing that every week. Uh, the crowds, and, uh, you know, the crowd started gathering, started selling tickets. <laughs> Kids are out there selling popcorn and drinks. It's like burning <laughs> man, right? <laughs> but I've been thinking about it. I might try to do it again. Uh, when the weather warms up a little bit here, it's funny. I started, uh, right near the end of March. And of course, once I started doing that, we had like, you know, a snap of cold weather and rain. And I would check my phone in the morning and I was trying to do it consistently on Wednesdays at noon. Cause I thought middle of the week, middle of the day, and uh, people would tune in. And um, I started checking my phone, which I don't normally check my phone for the weather, but I was checking my phone. I live in the DC area and I keep getting these uh, small craft warnings on my phone. I'm like, well, that really can't be good for doing an outdoor concert, a small craft warning. And I'm like, you know, we're not really near a whole lot of water here. I'm not sure why I'm getting these warnings. But. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We know nothing about that in landlocked Oklahoma. So that just zoomed <laughs> right over my head. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm like, we have the Potomac River and there's the bay a ways away. But I'm like, small craft warning. I'm like, eh, you're, you're small crafts. I'm picturing like toothpicks and marshmallows. Like we're making some kind of project. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I knew that wasn't going to be a real issue, but I figured there'd be some high winds and rain. But right. sure. you, get different, you get different kinds of warnings in Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> we do. Yes, yeah. we Our do. wind goes in a circle sometimes. It gets a little, <laughs> yeah. little dicey. That's not good. Um, not this, good. Speaking of the quarantine, uh, we've been asking all of our guests on Good Faith Weekly, how are you and, you, you and your family doing during, during the quarantine? Uh, we're doing okay. Uh, we've been... Uh, healthy and uh, grateful for that. Uh, my wife is the uh, chief of chaplains at the DC VA Medical Center. So uh, she had a couple of weeks at the very outset where she was home and uh, but otherwise it's been going in uh, every day. And um, so, you know, we're, we're just, uh, it's been interesting. I, I work out of a home office and have for a number of years. And uh, so it wasn't a real transition to me um, in that respect. Uh, because our office is in uh, Valley Forge, uh, ABHMS offices, of course, closed down like everyone else, and we were all suddenly, you know, deployed and working from home. Um, but that wasn't a real transition. But suddenly, I had all my kids here, you know, doing uh, online school and yes. uh, and living here again. We had a, a our oldest uh, was a senior in college at the time, and he he had to come back. So that was interesting. I suddenly had uh, I suddenly had coworkers around. You know, that, uh, <laughs> We're not really helping me with my work, but they were here. Yeah. But uh, right. we're doing well. Good. Uh, have you got the jab yet? I have not. I have not. Um, I'm I'm waiting. I'm registered. Uh, you know, I'm sort of waiting here from the county. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife has, uh, of course, uh, sure. being at the hospital, but uh, so I'm still waiting. Yeah. 
Well, good. Well, before we uh, launch into our discussion about your new book, uh, let's catch up about what's going on at the Christian Citizen. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, latest projects, what you got uh, stirring over there. The publication is actually 25 years old this year, mm-hmm. uh, so we're celebrating that anniversary. Uh, later this year, we're going to have a special issue of the print edition. So it's been a long time uh, print publication uh, that has become a digital first publication uh, in in 2017. So we publish um, weekly online, and uh, along with that, we publish a weekly newsletter. And, uh, of course, we have the podcast that you mentioned that's related, which is usually um, myself interviewing uh, writers and others about the content that we are publishing. And, uh, of course, we're on social media as well. But, um, you know, we're just keeping up with trying to respond to events and concerns that we see in society and um, enjoying doing that. The audience continues to grow, and we're thankful for that. And uh, so it's kind of, we also have a new, um, we have a new member support program for the Christian citizen, which is somewhat connected with the book. Mm-hmm. Um, folks who join that program receive a copy of uh, In This Together. Oh, good. So uh, new piece as well. And I'm assuming that the podcast, Justice, Mercy, Faith, uh, is on multiple platforms. People can subscribe to it. Yeah, you can find it. Uh, the current episodes can be found on the Christian citizen uh webpage, which is uh, christiancitizen.us, but it's on Spotify and Apple and Stitcher and pretty much everywhere you can get a podcast. Awesome. Great. So your new book is entitled Hashtag, In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis. Are we using the hashtag? I just got to ask that. Are we using the hashtag? I am. We're using using the hashtag. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like hashtag blessed. It doesn't count if you don't hashtag it. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Right. So it's a conglomeration of chapters written by a variety of amazing and diverse authors. What inspired you to put this work together? So this actually uh, is a project that grew out of um, what we were publishing last spring. Um, Mm -hmm. We published the first um, uh article related to COVID-19 on March 4th of 2020. And uh, subsequent to that, we published a lot of content um, just kind of related to ministry responses to the pandemic. Um, You know, the initial things that our writers were writing were very kind of nuts and bolts. Uh, You know, how do you take your service uh, online? How do you uh, how do you do pastoral care in a kind of physically distanced reality? Um, and and then, of course, over the course of um, the subsequent months, we started to really look a little more closely at some of the things that the pandemic was revealing, uh, some of the inequities in our society, the ways in which the pandemic was impacting um, African-Americans, um, Native Americans um, more greatly than than others. And so we were starting to look at kind of the justice issues that were coming up uh, out of the pandemic and becoming more apparent to us. So the the book really um, was an effort to go back to some of those original articles that we published and the writers that uh, wrote them and to uh, expand on them, revise them, and and pull them together in a, in a book like this. Uh, so Judson Press approached me uh, with the idea to edit the book, um, which I did over the course of the summer. It was a pretty quick turnaround for a book of this kind. Um, And the idea really was to try to uh, look 
at the crises we've been living through, uh, not only the uh, pandemic, but the uh, social unrest uh, that we saw over the summer uh, relative to uh, racial injustice, and to try to try to ask some questions about what are we learning through these experiences and how how can we apply some of that learning now and going forward. Yeah. Now, in, speaking of crisis, in the book, you provide your own narrative of uh, going through this very difficult time of, of crisis. And you talk about being the editor of The Christian Century, that when you were talking to writers and authors, you asked them to kind of look at the current situations that they were dealing with and they were writing about through a lens of uh, an apocalypse. And I thought that was fascinating. So, you know, and, and, and you define that for us in the book. Uh, and tell us a little bit about that, because I, I just thought that was a great insight that you had. Yeah, I was, I was toying with that idea because, um, well, it, it actually came up at a meeting. Someone, someone mentioned, uh, this was later on, I was working on the book already. Um, but they said, uh, I feel like we're living through the apocalypse. This was really, I think, in the, in the summer around uh, the reaction to the, to the death of George Floyd. Mm. Um, and I said, well, that's true. Um, and I think because we conceive of an apocalypse, the kind of popular conception of that is it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but apocalypse in the, in the Greek really means an unveiling, a revealing. Um, and so that's what I thought was kind of happening with these uh, crises we've been living through, uh, revealing to us some serious and deep-rooted structural inequities and uh, systemic racism. And I really mean that in the sense of um, a time of revealing, not so much for people who have experienced those things historically, because they know them uh, in the very fiber of their being, but really for uh, more broadly, um, you know, white America, uh, the some of the deep-rooted racism and systemic injustice that's a part of uh, of who we are uh, that we need to address. So that was really the the thinking. Uh, I asked the the writers to think in those terms about yeah. what is this crisis and these crises revealing about who we are as a nation. What is it revealing about? Um, who we are as the church, right? what are the things that we need to uh, address and rectify uh, going forward? Well, I just thought it was a, a brilliant piece of advice uh, for writers and contributors uh, during this last uh, year or so. And do you, and you just really got me to thinking as I read through that and pondered on it uh, in the book, um, do you think that this is a hinge moment for us? I mean, if you start thinking about that kind of, apocalyptic, those apocalyptic moments in history where, you know, regions changed, the world began to change. You just think about that uh, from a historical standpoint. Do you think 2020, 2021 has the potential to be that life-altering that we see this trajectory of history beginning to to change and of course it's going to reveal itself over the next couple of years or next couple of decades I should say but do you think that this is this feels like one of those moments I I do I think um particularly over the summer the the um 
the protests that we saw, the gatherings uh, that we saw, um, the renewed attention to Black Lives Matter and popular support for uh, for that effort um, indicates to me, uh, the, I think, a real possibility for change for people uh, coming together and and saying, you know, enough is enough. We need to to make a a real change here. And even um, I think also even the even the pandemic, um, just the kind of attention to, I mean, the sense that we do have that we are in this together. Now, sure. we've, yeah. lived through a, we've lived through a year, I think, though, where people are obviously very polarized mm-hmm. about even the pandemic and the response to, you know, things like mask wearing or whether we're going to, yeah. you know, take vaccines and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there is still a great deal of division. Right. But I think there is a reminder here that uh, there are forces <laughs> at work in the world that are greater than we are, uh, that are humbling to us, mm-hmm. and that um, we are in this together, and we do need to help each other out, you know, along the way. Yeah, well said. So the book is broken down into five sections. What we learned about God, self, being church, being neighbors, and being a nation. What are some of the most important lessons you think we've learned over the last year? Well, um, hopefully <laughs> we are learning that we are in this together. Um, I, I think that's that's critical. Um, I think uh, we're learning some things about the church um, that are critically important, um, you know, just in terms of the possibility of, of mission and ministry outside of four walls. I think we're, um, I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of amazed by how quickly um, churches were able to pivot and go online and be creative in how they uh, were gathering folks still for worship and, and education. And, I think uh, as difficult as that is, and as much as we really can't be uh, the church apart from gathering together in community when it's safe to do so, I think um, all of that has been a, a critical learning experience and has opened up some real opportunities to think about um, what it means to be church in some new and different ways. Um, you know, I like to think it's um, it's opened us up to the notion that the church is really not bound by time or space, which I think we've always understood. I mean, the church is a transnational organization and it transcends history. Um, but we see that in some really uh, exciting ways. I mean, my own church and I think many churches, we have folks who are, you know, tuning in mm-hmm. all over the country and even the world. Um, and so uh, I think that's been a, an eye opener for us and it's made us, uh, start to wrestle with when we do go back in some form to gathered worship, um, how do we maintain that um, online reach and how do we integrate those two things? How, how do we really be a hybrid church that uh, is a community for people who are physically present and those who are distanced? Um, yeah. And then of course, I think um, what we are learning about uh, some of the injustices and inequities in our society that simply we have to address mm. or we're just going to keep uh, coming back to uh, this place of, of real division and, and, and not progress. And then, of course, I think, um, you know, what we're learning about uh, 
God is that God is, you know, present through us uh, in all struggle and all crises um, that, uh, you know, our, our faith in, in Christ is not um, something that spares us any of that, um, but rather um, God is with us in that, in that suffering and difficulty. You know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, how quickly, or you point out how quickly the church and organizations uh, and society at large was able to adapt to this pandemic. I mean, obviously there was this, this moment where we're all kind of anxious about, you know, okay, what's going to happen next? But then people pretty quickly found their new normal. Uh, and churches did the same, and organizations did the same. I mean, here at Good Faith Media, we got grounded. Uh, you know, I haven't been out of this room in over a year. Uh, Missy just slides food into the door for me. But, <laughs> but, uh, but it really was amazing how quickly uh, that, that things began to, to settle down. People became very creative, um, started doing things in new and vibrant ways. And it's going to be interesting to see if we move quickly back to the way things were or if we embrace this change because it was forced upon us, uh, embrace this change uh, and move in even more creative and, and, uh, and interesting ways in the future. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there is a there are there are sort of both camps, you know. I mm -hmm. think there are folks who uh, who just want to get back to what was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then there are others who say, "Well, you know, wait a minute. I mean, <laughs> a lot of what was was not great, right. and uh, I think this is an opportunity for something of a a reset and a rethinking sure. of you know sure. how we go." Yeah. So, uh, based off of that, Curtis, I'm going to ask you probably a really difficult question because you just mentioned that there are, and, and we've heard it as well, a group of people who just can't wait to get back to normal after the pandemic. Uh, the restrictions are lifted. And in fact, we're seeing across the country, people who are trying to rush into normalcy uh, yeah. much sooner than they should. Um, and, but, but there is this, this mentality. And, and sometimes I, I do think it is with good intention of trying to return back to a sense of normalcy. Um, not sure what that means at times, but I, I get the sentiment. Having gone through this in a global way and talking about the important lessons that hopefully we have learned through this together, what are some of the lessons do you think that we should have learned that probably we're not going to learn and return back to some of our old ways that may not be that healthy? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting to me. Um, I was thinking about this recently, you know, um, Dr. King in one of his um, later books, um, I think it was his last book, actually, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? Mm -hmm. He talked about um, the need to learn uh, to live together as brothers. And I think if he were alive today, he would say brothers and sisters, but, um, or perish as fools. And, um, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating about Dr. King was the extent to which he understood the uh, interconnectedness of life, mm -hmm. um, you know, in a time far in advance of the kind of globalization that we've 
that we live with or the interconnectedness of life through things like technology and communication. Um, and I, so I think that one of the things I hope we learn is, is uh, an appreciation for that interconnectedness of life, both as Americans, but, uh, but with the world. Um, and I don't know that we'll learn that fully. I mean, you know, um, Dr. King articulated that pretty uh, clearly uh, long ago, and I don't think we learned it then. Um, and even today, you know, we see uh, some of that in terms of like the vaccine rollout here. We're 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 focused, you know, on this vaccine, getting these vaccines out in the United States. That's important. Um, but you know, if we only put out the fire of this uh, virus here and not elsewhere, we're going to be dealing with. Um, sure. It's spread uh, well, and, and we have the challenge of doing that here when you have folks who are not willing to uh, be a part of that solution. So I I hope that we uh, learn uh, a little bit more clearly the interconnectedness of life, um, mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, I'm not certain we will. Yeah. You know, crises have a way of offering opportunity for us, and we we've talked about that an opportunity to rise up and do good. And we've seen that from people of faith. We've seen that from uh, churches, from organizations, from uh, government reactions to it. We've seen these opportunities and people step up and, and do good things during a crisis. At the same time, crises also has the ability to reveal some of our worst flaws. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this summer uh, the death of George Floyd, Brown Taylor, uh, and, and others. Uh, the list is long, about we still have not dealt in a healthy way uh, on the issue of, of, of racism in this country and white supremacy. I mean, even this week, uh, mm -hmm. we've got a young man in, in Georgia uh, going to these, uh, these Asian uh, nail salons and killing eight people, six of them of Asian descent. Uh, and it certainly seems as though he targeted uh, you know, Asian establishments uh, in the shooting. Um, this has, in a, a very revealing way, um, exposed the sin of racism and white supremacy in this country. What can we do after experiencing all that we have experienced in this last year? How can we strive for that beloved community that Dr. King hoped for, dreamed of, and advocated for? Well, I think we have to, you know, continue to work together um, and um, strive together. I mean, I think that was one of the heartening things coming out of the summer was the extent to which uh, folks in community came together mm -hmm. um, across racial divisions and other divisions to say, you know, uh, this needs to change. And I think um, that's good in the moment, but we need to action and take action together and continue to, to work together. And, uh, and I think that's going to be a long and, and hard road. Um, one of the writers in the, in the book, Marilyn Turner uh, Triplett, who's a colleague of mine in the home mission societies talks about um this very thing, you know, of um, organizations and individuals who stepped up and spoke out, um, you know, including NASCAR and others who said, mm -hmm. you know, we've got to put a stop to this. 
the NFL finally. Um, and she says, uh, she kind of cautions though. She says, you know, uh, Americans have a, have a microwave mentality. Mm-hmm. She said about problems. We want quick solutions. Uh, but what we really need is a slow cooker mindset. And I love that image, um, because I think that's true. You know, we need to, uh, keep at it and, and, and work together and, um, and know that it's going to be long and, and hard work. Sure. Well, the book is In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis. And where can our audience pick this book up? So it's uh, published by Judson Press, and it's available pretty much everywhere. You can find it uh, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Judson Press, Bookshop. Great. Books. All right. Well, I uh, encourage you to pick it up. It is wonderfully uh, edited and put together by Curtis, and the authors are incredible. Uh, just, uh, just, It really is uh, a great read, and it should be on the bookshelves of any minister, layperson, anybody who cares about what we've just gone through as a society continuing to go through. Uh, and it really is uh, revealing and prophetic from the standpoint that we need to be in this together all the way. Well, Curtis, thank you so much for being on Good Faith Weekly. Before we let you go, though, Autumn's got one final question for you. So at Good Faith Media, our tagline is, there's more to tell. In light of everything we've talked about today and gone through this year, what is your more to tell? Um, So, well, my more to tell. First of all, thank you for having me on the the podcast. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book. more to tell. I uh, just would encourage folks to uh, to read it and um, kind of dive into it. And uh, and I would also invite um, your listeners to check out the Christian Citizen. You can find us at ChristianCitizen.us. Um, one of the things that I love about the publication that we've been doing uh, consistently over the last year is the, is the weekly newsletter uh, where we highlight not only what we're publishing currently, but uh, also uh, try to pull together related um, content from other publications. And, uh, and there's a lot of uh, a good writing uh, that we find on faith and, and politics and uh, religion and sort of the concerns we're facing. So I would invite folks to subscribe to that and uh, keep up with what we're doing at, at the Christian Citizen. Well, Curtis, we appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, you know, the God, God's blessing upon you and the Christian Citizen and the American Baptist Home Mission Society. Uh, just lots of good work going on over there. And uh, we appreciate you guys partnering with us on many levels of Good Faith Media. And so uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Now, get out on your front porch and start singing some songs because I miss them. (laughs) (laughs) Once we get past the uh, small craft warnings. (laughs) That's right. right. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly this week. As always, we appreciate our guest and your time. And until next time, keep living good faith.